welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch The People Under the Stairs. Uh, this week, to help us discuss our movie, we're being joined by our very special guests, Pace and Joe from the Horror Nerds at Church podcast. Welcome. Hello. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm Good Pace. to be here. Thank you very much for joining us as our very first <laughs> podcast guests. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell people at home a little bit more about Horror Nerds at Church. Sure. Um, well, Horror Nerds at Church we is a podcast that releases every Thursday for the most part. We basically pick a film and a horror film and we interpret that genre very broadly so we have had everything from 1999's the mummy with brandon fraser to like true hardcore horror we talked about the exorcist a few weeks ago (laughs) and right now we're working through the friday the 13th series um it's a shame that there wasn't a friday the 13th released in 1991 I know there was, but I know that there was a Freddy Krueger one because y'all covered that a few yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, if you ever do a Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, it's so weird that there was I no Friday the Thirteenth. All five. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's so don't strange. They have one like every year. Like there's a Friday Thirteenth. Like almost they pumped every one out. Year. Yeah, they pumped one out every like year every except year, for except the podcast that you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> Yep. We have other franchises that we're going to go through. Yeah, there's so many horror sequels <laughs> in anyone. Yeah. It's That's true. So um, Thanks for but... having us here, y'all. Yeah. But um, I wanted to add that this was all Pace's idea. <laughs> A podcast never occurred to me. I just wanted to talk about horror movies with them. They're the ones mm-hmm. who decided, let's take this to the internet and become famous. <laughs> well, famous okay. is debatable. But yeah, the thing that makes our podcast a little bit different from other horror film podcasts is that Joe and I are both theologians. We met at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And so we take a deep dive for each film into kind of the religious symbolism and imagery of that film. And we are technically a um spin-off podcast so you can also check out our sister podcasts as we call them uh, nerds at church and they do Yay! more like sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff but they they're similar to us except they do more bible whereas we do more theology aren't we also raunchier than our sister yes, podcast we, are, we, <laughs> we like to swear and we talk about sex a lot and stuff so <laughs> Okay. Uh, we swear. I think that's appropriate for the horror. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I swear by all for one. By the way. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. I, I love the the podcast, and uh, I think I, this movie is ripe for the picking for this. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, yes. I'll just I'll get yeah. my uh, customary <laughs> plot synopsis, and we'll just be on our way then. Perfect. Uh, In The People Under the Stairs, a 13-year-old boy nicknamed Fool, played by Brandon Quinton Adams, 
gets roped into helping rob the house of the landlords that are planning to evict his family. Once inside the house, he discovers that something very unusual is happening in the basement, and neither he nor his two adult accomplices are able to leave. The owners come back and begin a hunt for the intruders. Screenplay by Wes Craven, directed by Wes Craven, and released on November 1st, 1991. So, I typically ask to start, uh, Nikki, have you seen this movie before? Yes, I used to watch this movie a lot when I was a pre-teen to teen years. This is my very first time watching. I was very horror adverse as a kid. Uh, and so anything that <laughs> involved anything possibly scary, like someone like jumping out and like grabbing you from under the stairs or something was uh, automatic. No for me. Yeah. Uh, but Payson Joe, what about you? Have you seen this before? <laughs> um, I, I've seen this once before and the only time I've seen it before, believe it or not, was this year. So, um, it was kind of fun to come back to it the first time. I really didn't care for it that much, but rewatching it for this podcast and talk a little bit critically about it, it I definitely enjoyed it more. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this was my first time watching it, um, but I was aware of it as a, I guess I was also a preteen like Nikki. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I was aware of it mainly because of the movie poster with a skull, like, on top of the house in the sky was so evocative and it was in the video store. So like um, for a lot of movies that were released during this time, uh, I actually had never like, like sat down to watch them, but I was very aware of them because the movie posters are plastered all over the video store. Right. And you walk into the video store and some of these movie posters just stay in your head forever I don't know if movie posters today are so memorable, but, you know, with the people under the stairs, I didn't watch it as a kid, but I was familiar with the movie poster. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm the same way with a lot of the horror movies, and the horror poster was enough to turn me away (laughs) from the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I saw in the back of a comic book or something, like, no... Well, and it's re- it's really funny uh, that you say that, John. And I know y'all do trivia later on in the episode, but speaking to the point of the movie poster. So the movie studio literally had no idea how to market this movie. So they arbitrarily slapped a skull <laughs> on the poster and said, this is scary and it's a horror movie. They gave no indication of the social commentary or the satire right. that it was going to They should have just showed the B.C. Andrews couple looking all scary. <laughs> 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 on the cover with the guy with the guy in his gimp mask and i would be like oh okay yeah that could have been a i mean i think the reveal of that happening because there were like no skulls whatsoever in this movie well there are a couple of like yeah i mean yeah they were in the background you just saw bones and stuff but yeah yeah i I, I sort of that bodysuit was epic though (laughs) Yeah, the, the reveal of the leather daddy, ahead, I think, was too good to ruin what on was the going poster. on. <laughs> you don't want that spoiled for you. Right, but it's like... But they could have done, like, a, a hand coming out of the stairs. Yeah, like, they should have literally like, showed, like, some hands oh. coming out under a stair. Well, <laughs> Pacey, we're going to mention something. That, um, 
however many what two decades before american horror story did the gimp suit this was the yeah. <laughs> this movie premiered it. oh that's right that's right and pace um while we were uh screening the movie um i think it was either pace or me who had the idea that said uh that um American Horror Story should just remake this as like an episode. Oh yeah, I would watch that. When Wes Craven, yeah, he, when he before he passed, he was um, apparently in the works to turn this into do a remake and turn it into a miniseries. So yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know what happened to that after he no passed. No way. That was oh my in gosh. the works at least. Can we have like a seance and bring him back, <laughs> or is that too creepy? <laughs> I'm sure the I miss him. the mother yeah. and father would punish you for even trying. <laughs> oh my! Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait! Don't you mean the sister and brother? Yes, <laughs> but they called each other mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy. Is it, it, really it canon? They're supposed to be brother and sister in this movie. Oh my god! Well, yeah. At the end, where the grandpa was explaining to fool, like this family grew up. Didn't okay. you pay attention to that? Not to that specific <laughs> line of dialogue. I was probably writing notes about the grandfather that at the time. They're actually brother and sister. Okay. That's why I was like, oh, we're going V.C. Andrews with this. Yeah, it, it, definitely, <laughs> it definitely has shades of exactly. the flowers in the attic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, that the was first our very movie. first yeah. episode, by the way. Our very yeah. first episode, huh? Flowers in the um, Attic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this definitely shares some themes uh, with the, the daughter quote unquote that's that's trapped inside the house uh we learn later on that alice is never allowed outside has never been outside potentially and is completely sheltered from the outside world um and in fact anybody who enters the house is not allowed out as we quickly learn right yeah with a uh, fool and uh leroy coming in to uh inspect well not inspect rob um as well as spencer uh they try to escape since spencer was not able to we can talk about that in a second uh they try to go out the front door and the doorknob is electrified and i think that's probably one of our first (laughs) clues that this is basically like a home alone house yeah so i don't know if that was a direct inspiration for that uh but i got the vibe of like okay now we're in the Wet bandits are the protagonist's territory, and we're here rooting for the robbers to escape uh, this booby-trapped house. Right. What's so wild, though, is like with Wes Craven, is if you remember the first Nightmare on Elm Street, which he wrote and directed, there's that whole subplot with Nancy booby-trapping her house to trap Freddy as well. So it seems to be a reoccurring theme in his work. Also, the, the, the subtle religious aspect of the, the hear the, no evil see no evil exactly no yeah evil. And, and, yeah and the, uh, exactly i don't know the name of the mm-hmm. prayer that they have like videotaped at at the end you know like yeah, lay yeah. my head down to sleep type of thing oh okay yeah all right yeah i'm not well it, it was the theology it, it was, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, it was slightly altered um, from the version I know, Pace, I did you notice that um, mommy, <laughs> quote unquote, <laughs> says if I should kill before I wake, 
And I thought it was like if I should die before I wake. Yep, that was definitely slightly altered. <laughs> Made it that first of all, that prayer is creepy enough to begin with, but then when you change the words, it's even creepier. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I, I wonder if that was intentional to just like, you know, position them as the crazy ones. <laughs> Yeah, most likely, especially at that point, we kind of knew that they were the crazy ones, right? If if you're talking about the tape recorded part. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's also a subtle nod to Freddy Krueger, though, because if if she's killing before she wakes, <gasps> that means then she's. Yeah. Killing before I wake. Yeah. Dreams. That is clever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Give uh, give Wendy Robbie a spinoff. Roby. Yeah. Roby. I mean, OK. <laughs> <laughs> have we seen this woman in anything else now that you've name dropped her i'm she, curious okay her and um daddy <laughs> they're <laughs> they don't really have names in the movie for anyone yeah. who hasn't seen it they, uh, they have oh, so yeah, they, they just have a okay, last name but they that's it. they play a couple in twin peaks so i know them from twin peaks oh I love them in Twin Peaks. Yeah, so to see them really in Twin characters. Peaks, because there are a couple in Twin Peaks, and then, you know, they're a quote that makes couple sense. in this movie. And Twin Peaks, you know, kind mm. of ended around this time. So I think it's just like an extension of like their eccentricities, I guess, <laughs> of like how insane their characters are in that show and then also this movie. Yeah, I definitely it's, think that it's you know, kind of a continuation. Well, I mean, it's clearly not, but like it's a very similar role. So it's almost like this was written for them after Russ Craven would have seen Twin Peaks or something. Yeah, yeah I, I believe think, that is I actually think, the uh, case. Cra- Craven cast them, cast, cast them because of like their characterization in Twin Peaks. I was mm-hmm. pretty impressed with some of the traps that were in there. I mean, they're relatively basic, but I mean, you have like the Simpsons stairs that become a slide yeah and you have like the electrified doorknobs and the windows that don't break and stuff like that um but you also have like spikes that will push into the wall that happens when they're uh they're being when roach and, and fool are being chased yeah they and, have and, this and they have like that little slide thing inside the wall that the the puppy prince slides <laughs> down <laughs> Which I don't know if, like, mommy and daddy would have set that one up. Yeah, I was like, who set this entire house up? Was it daddy? Yeah. (laughs) Making all these spikes in the wall? Like, was it for all the quote-unquote sons that they were trying to uh, want to raise? My assumption was that... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it it was all just accumulated through the generations, right? Because when Grandpa was telling the story, they he implied that this was like a generational perverseness. Yeah. So did I mean? So were Mommy and Daddy were they taken as children themselves, like Alice was from their know. grandparents? You, you were the one that paid attention to the brother and sister line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was well because. I mean, because you know how uh, they wanted to find a brother for Alice, and that's why they have Roach and all those, quote, people under the stairs. That's why I was like, is Mommy and Daddy also a product of that? And they grew up. Yeah. It could be. be, Uh, uh, Maybe Mommy and Daddy, speaking of V.C. Andrews, are their brother and sister from Flowers in the Attic all grown up. 
getting their own house. Oh. <laughs> they escape and then they create their own And then they create their own family. Yeah. And then they decimate exactly. a uh, urban landscape. <laughs> well, since you brought up Prince, would you <laughs> would you consider would you consider the dog part of the booby trap system? <laughs> Ooh, I think probably not. He's just like another enforcer or hunter that because yeah. Prince doesn't know enough to lead them to booby traps. Yeah, I think it's just as their guard dog or attack dog. Because when he does, spoiler alert, die, the mommy said, you know, we're going to need another bigger, badder dog. R.I.P. Yeah. I do love Prince. I do like, yeah, the the dog that plays Prince does very good um, facial reactions. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, uh, props to that dog. Right. Yeah. Apparently, according to the end, end yeah. credits, there were four yeah, dogs that played, played Prince. Prince. Yeah, so props <laughs> to all those dogs that knew how I to know. act, acting dogs. Well, I, I, I don't know about you all, but when, um, when me and Pace were screening this movie, the first couple of attack scenes with the dog yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't look like attack scenes my first thought was oh that dog is clearly playing with them but if you do the camera angles enough it can look like it's attacking them yeah yeah that's, that's movie magic I'm... for you probably that's <laughs> like they might have had just like a fake arm or something that was like trying to or it might have even been like a puppet dog at some like scenes. rolling around on the ground yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, I read Just something about the if... Twilight movies, like trivia about them. Like <laughs> a lot of the, yeah, Twilight. Apparently, <laughs> the wolves and stuff, like they had oh. to CGI alter their tails because they were ha- having so much. The dogs that they were oh. cast and trained were having so much fun <laughs> do hitting their marks and playing the characters and stuff that they their tails were oh, wagging no. the whole time. So they had to like computer alter that so it looked yeah, like yeah i mean we watched like a cruella not too long ago and there was a behind the scenes about how the dogs were handled and it was very interesting yeah. oh wow yeah yeah they have a couple different dogs in there and they have some scenes where it's clearly the dogs are completely cg yeah which may have happened if this movie were made 30 years later for the attack scenes they might have just done cg dogs like a cg yeah like i mean names. twilight obviously used yeah. cg for their or even like going down the shoot like they probably would have used like a like cg, a CG dog, dog. yeah um but yeah and cruella they i mean i had a nice mix i guess for 1991 you know prince was pretty good oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah and, and i really like the practical effects generally speaking i think um it felt like a booby-trapped house. It didn't, you know, because there isn't really, like, CG. That's one of the great things about 1991 is that a lot of the effects that are in these movies are practical, except for, like, T2. Oh, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, uh-huh. where it's, like, sort of rudimentary, but still good and integrated well. Um, but most of the film still had to use, like, practical effects, which looks much more real and, right. you know, visceral. So when you see like the stabbing right. in the wall or you, or you see the spikes coming through or, or people coming out of things and busting out of cabinets, then it has a much more uh, impactful feel. Definitely. Well, when 
when mommy <laughs> was was you know controlling everything through that little switch panel thing i thought that was cute but i was also thinking if this movie were made now all of that would probably be touch screen yeah <laughs> oh yeah and you'd have a scene where like someone is talking you know, to an ipad or they establish he's in a computer class in the first scene yeah. and then he's able to hack into the device in the third act speaking of that i mean fool is the least foolish of the characters right mm-hmm. so he's he's the young kid he's <laughs> just turned 13 years old for a large point of the movie he's the voice of reason um except for when he decides to go into the basement alone while they're still trying to do the initial robbery thing uh, but in general, I, I don't know enough about tarot. I don't know if anyone here is very familiar with it. But they uh, give I little Pace intro it. tarot reading, and that's yeah. Where the beginning they, they, starts with a tarot reading from Fool's sister. Yeah, and they explain that's where he got his so nickname during, is from yeah, the Fool. Yeah, uh, from the Fool card. His real name is fool. Dexter well, or Poindexter. <laughs> during that opening sequence, I was peppering pace with questions i'm like is is that true what does that card mean yeah. and um i'm 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 lifting up pace here for their uh uh card reading expertise because every difficult moment that i've had in my life in grad school <laughs> i turned to pace for a tarot reading <laughs> it's true it's true um so well, you, so you can well, tell us a little bit more about that. what the uh the opening tarot cards set up might have happened yeah, I don't. It it really doesn't make much sense to me because it doesn't really get brought back for the rest of the movie. So it just felt like a weird aside or weird way to enter into the film. But it does. The I have to say their meanings for the cards are pretty accurate. Um, oftentimes in Hollywood they will use the death card, and they didn't in this opening, but they'd use the death card to symbolize death, and that's not what that card means at all. It instead means a kind kind of transition. Whereas here, like the one thing I would like to say that um, I'm surprised they didn't go into because it would have made it a little bit more accurate to tarot, but also would have worked well with the movie is that the fool is considered the first card of the major arcana. So it is the card that symbolizes like a person at the beginning of their journey. And so if they were to frame it that way, it could have been set up in such a way that um, Poindexter (laughs) is the fool is like this is a coming of age story for him since he just turns 13 and is able to basically become the provider for his family and rescue these children from this deranged family and stuff like that so so that's the only thing that i would say is i I was surprised they didn't do that but otherwise i was very surprised that the tarot readings were as um accurate to what the cards typically mean well, that's a very, I love that nuanced understanding of the cards, especially for Fool, because I never thought of it like that in the way that you said, Pace. Like, you know, a Fool is a Fool because one doesn't know anything, right? And so if the the symbolism is you're starting your journey, yeah, obviously you don't know anything. So in that sense, Fool has a completely different connotation, yeah, and they do allude to that a little bit, right? They, they say that uh, you're a fool not because you're stupid, but because you just don't have the knowledge yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they talk about exactly. him going off into the sun, but only the boy part will get burned up. Um, but they also mention the exactly. dog in there as like a protector. Mm-hmm. And I thought that when 
when Ving Rhames' character is getting attacked, right? So he's hiding behind the couch. Fool is used like a decoy for the dog. <laughs> the dog prince ignores Fool and then sees Ving Rhames and jumps over the couch and attacks him. I thought that that was going to mean that the dog was going to team up with Fool at some point and he would become something of his protector, but that didn't come no. to be. Yeah, and so like the tarot card uh, reading, which I hoped was going to be more of like a foreshadowing device, really wasn't anything. Yeah, that's what was weird for me about it. It just seemed like a weird add, like a way to kind of introduce the characters and show the relationship between the sister and um, fool. But like, it just I, I don't exactly. get what it has to do with the rest of the movie. Quite honestly, yeah, to me it felt slapped on. Like the studio said, you need to make this movie more horror-like, so do this creepy tarot card scene. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of yeah. You have the occult, which is still something of a fear tactic, even in 1991 for some people with the cult uh, tarot card. Yeah, like and plus it you know gives that panic. creepy atmosphere over the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something. Well, it's all, it's all. Yeah, that's something you were mentioned when we screened it together, Joe. Is like you you said that tarot is one of those things that until recently you were uncomfortable with because of the way it's talked about in Christian circles and stuff. And now, of course, you know a exactly. few people who do tarot who also are Christian and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, the old Christian crowd that I hung out with in college, the evangelicals, and that's another story altogether how I got involved with those people. <laughs> that could be another podcast. Uh, but, you know, they really drilled into me that things like tarot cards were against God's will. Only God can tell you the future. Anyway, now that I'm 39 years old and have more wisdom and am a, I am a non-fool, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> I've met like a great... Up. Yes, my boy part did get burnt up. I think we should re- <laughs> did Many ways to interpret. Oh my that god. <laughs> I'm I'm so so I think I'm blowing out the mic with my laughter. Thanks a lot, y'all. Um but no, now nowadays, you know, um I'm still a faithful Christian, but I associate with folks who have a much more inclusive idea of Christianity. And we believe that tarot cards are useful, you know, tools to help us tap into the divine space where God inhabits. That's very interesting. Uh, I I do want to talk about that because you go back to the, the subject of you wanted to, or you think that that was used to make the movie feel like more of a horror movie. And I know that we're laughing yeah. at the gimp suit and some of the antics that happened here and there. I'm wondering how intentional do you think the comedy was? Or is it just time has passed and some of these things are funny to us? That's that's kind of what I was wondering when when I was watching the movie with Pace. Like one of my recurring questions during the movie was, was that supposed to be funny? <laughs> was I supposed to laugh? <laughs> and like, I, I felt wrong. Like when I'm laughing at like for, yeah, mm-hmm. at something, you know? Um, but pay <laughs> watching this movie was pace was amazing because they kept mentioning mommy dearest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fine. Especially when mommy, when mommy walked into the bedroom 
to give the dress to Alice. <laughs> and Mommy's all like, I worked hard on this. This better fit. Yeah. I get, like, I feel like this was very, personally, my um, feeling of this uh, with is, and casting Wendy Roby as the um, mommy character, I feel like that it was really intentionally supposed to be campy and supposed to be this, there's a lot of slapstick comedy in here, kind of like Home Alone, like you're saying, like mm-hmm. with people yeah. falling into the traps and stuff. And, and I think that might be one of the reasons why it, it's kind of developed a cult following since its release, but it, I don't think it was ever a hugely popular movie when it first came out, simply because it, it doesn't really fit into a genre. And we know, of course, Wes Craven would go on to do more horror comedy with Scream, and that that kind of more solidifies that genre. But this, I feel like this one kind of is a um, prelude to that kind of thing. And and like I was telling Joe, like the mommy deer, I really feel like that's intentional, like this playing up of this <laughs> camp type of character to um, just be so over the top that in excess that it becomes ridiculous. I think at least the mommy and daddy characters are definitely meant to be way over the top. Uh, You can see it from Everett McGill's reactions where he's mugging to the camera almost constantly. He's like peeking through the holes in the wall and making his eyes as big as possible and contorting his face in in, um, frustration or whatever it is. Um, And I think the gimp suit is probably meant to be funny. But there aren't like overt jokes, like no one's saying funny things. And so it's like situationally funny, which is tougher to get a grasp on. I mean, it also kind of shows like I got a little disturbed because um, I was scared that they um, like I was wondering how he treated Alice because it's obvious that mommy wants a daughter. But and there's Mm -hmm. like a part you know, at the very end where he ties her up in the attic Uh where she's like, please let me go. And he's like touching himself a little bit. Uh And I was like, has he abused her in any way? Well, we see the physical abuse with the belt. But like, I'm thinking... I I know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, I I was thinking the same thing at the beginning of the movie when, when... When daddy yeah. i guess when when um he mentions to mommy that he thinks that um alice ran off and probably already did it with fool yeah in the house. and so yeah. He, he he yeah he he and then and then he starts to call her a whore and i remember i yelled to pace wait a minute these are children mm-hmm. that he's talking about mm-hmm. yeah well yeah i mean Clearly, they don't have respect for children based no. off of what's in the basement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have to say there's some really, it seems to me that there seems to be kind of some convoluted framing of the mommy and daddy characters uh, that I'm not sure is clear. And I think it's just kind of sloppy personally, but like there seems to be some sort of like queer sex coding going on with him wearing a gimp suit, like this kinky kind of person oh. and and like villainizing that because this is also in the mm-hmm. era of silence of the lambs sure. where you have a transgender person who's villainized and so it's kind of like that mm-hmm. this is other and very different from what we think of as respectable this is very respectable family from the exterior but when you peek under the covers you see just like how kinky and out there they are so there seems to be that but there's mm. also this really like 
strong undercurrent of them being like these very repressed sex people because yeah. they're brother and sister. It's, it doesn't say whether or not they are sexually intimate. It implies that maybe they are, or at least some people outside think they are. But that's also perhaps why they're adopting kids because they aren't and they don't want to have kids that are the product of incest. So it just really is this convoluted, like, what are what is Wes Craven trying to say about his people? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure he even knows, except to just, like, kind of <laughs> show the take it to the extreme of like these this type of white uh like because this this movie is very intentional about how it talks about race surprisingly in 1991 yeah especially from a mm-hmm. white man like Russ craven doing it but like um this white family who is wealthy and stuff but as soon as you kind of look under and from the outside everything looks great and look how well they get along with police which in a um black lives matter is a very has a whole different kind of subtext to it than it did in 1991 but i think it still was kind of hinting toward that like the police come in and are getting along with these white people great (laughs) even though they were Mm -hmm. called to help uh these uh other people in the house so it's just so so that's kind of like my big confusion with this is like what what exactly is trying to be said about who these two people are why are they like are these these sexual deviants it kind of seems like they are but they also seem to be very repressed in their sexuality they're very camping over the top but yet they're also kind of being played um a little bit more straight like they don't realize how campy they are so it's not like this intentional uh, so it's just it's just uh confusing to me <laughs> yeah and like the cops are like eating their snacks and just like socializing with right. them and they're super they're super chummy but uh pace i think i think you're bringing up a, a good point uh one of the I, I guess one of the few things about this movie that we could argue is solidly clear <laughs> is the commentary on race and and gentrification yes. those are very those are very solid everything else is just mixed messages yeah we can get into like how this movie even starts where um i mean it starts with fool and his sister and their mom their mom has cancer and you know Mm -hmm. they live in a very you can tell that their apartment building is you know part of this uh i don't want to say ghetto because that's i mean they call it that but i don't like using that word but right. that's yeah. where they live in these parts of LA and you know they're going to be evicted by mommy and daddy cuz they are the evil landlords that just you know yeah. they just want to evict them to make you know yeah, there's, there's high rise buildings and offices to get yeah, more exactly. money so there's there's a couple parts to it one is that um, they miss their rent and supposedly there's something in this movie where they say they have three days to pay triple the rent or they're evicted. After yes. Missing yes. 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 Obviously clearly illegal and probably just um, right. there for plot convenience. Yeah. Uh, but they are also the yeah, only also... holdouts in that building um, that yes. are still actively living there uh, because the, the landlords want to tear down the building and build something different. Mm-hmm. So and it's this, like the yeah. green well, plus yeah, exactly. potentially the race. Which yeah. we definitely yeah. learn is race <laughs> with some of his commentary yeah. later on. Oh yeah. Well, and then the first appearance of mommy and daddy was right 
or you know a little bit after that part right Mm -hmm. so they cut to mommy and daddy i think they were sitting at the fireplace and um, daddy was sitting in the chair eating some kind of scary looking meat and i started laughing because i thought to myself oh my gosh these are clearly the evil landlords yeah. <laughs> like it was a it was a, it was a bit over the top but in a good way i mean it was campy <laughs> i think the voiceover was kind of leading towards that too right because they aren't actually talking it's like voiceover explaining that the landlords own everything and that they're trying to kick them out while you see him eating the steak or right. whatever it's supposed to be. That's what I, I'm like. Because uh, I think you're led to believe it's like deer or something. Because okay. he says like, "Oh, damn buckshot," and he takes the bullet out. Yes, and... but then I was thinking, are because I know they, <laughs> the people that come into their home, they feed like you know the pest control or whatever. They feed these people to the quote people under the stairs, and it, it reverts them to like cannibalism. And I was like, are they themselves? cannibalistic they, they are yeah we see but, daddy eating meat when he's like but is it he, someone that he shot or yeah yeah it's 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 either it could Spencer, either be a person or an animal no like when, like when to believe uh when fool like is in the, in the basement getting like tied up or whatever he yeah. has like either spencer or leroy hung up yes and he's like carving meat to throw to the people but he's also eating it himself yes so it's a person that he's eating in the beginning is what I'm trying yeah, to yeah. say. Yeah, it's either Spencer or Leroy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, in, in the, the very beginning. beginning in the very beginning. Most likely a person. Yes. yes. That's what I was trying to think. Yeah. One of the one of the people under the stairs. Har, har, har. Mm, I don't know. I mean. I don't know. Like if I he was trying to escape, children. you never know. <laughs> They're mm. like unwanted <laughs> children. I think the people under the stairs, mm. if we want to get back to the race conversation, um, it's also yeah. kind of interesting because they are made to be ghostly cracking white. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A- and I-, I don't understand how that happens scientifically. It's. Right? I mean. <laughs> I mean they they, they have no. I, they've never seen the light of day. They're like. That's what I. Oh my yeah, gosh! But, we're on the same wavelength. That's still because like, I was thinking I was. I don't know. Yeah. There's had, like years and decades no of evolution that would D, happen like, to ever. make their skin so, that right. white. Uh, no, I was literally thinking to myself, if you stay in the dark like for half of your yeah. life or your whole life, is that what happens? That's what I was assuming. Because I mean, they don't have the proper like vitamins or nutrients to have like a flesh tone. If if there's colored. any nutritionists <laughs> or know. doctors listening (laughs) i'm going to assume i mean and plus the only thing they're eating is like body parts of other people yeah i'm just saying i don't think that would have led to that result of like zombie like facial cracking white to look like okay that's that's my personal opinion because they have like zombie faces with like yeah they they looked at like they are zombies but they're living humans exactly Mm-hmm. They're living humans yeah. and they demonstrate, <laughs> you know, a little bit of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm wondering what is happening under the stairs exactly? I mean, do they have a little civilization down there? I, I mean, that was the, I mean, it's like the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. It's like, you know, with Roach, he has his yeah. tongue cut off. And I'm thinking, like, the other, yes. the other boys that are in the, basement or under the stairs they all probably were 
like made deaf or mute or something right because they did they did what alice i mean alice is the only quote good child because she doesn't do any of those three things right so like with roach he was trying to get help so they cut his tongue off and it's like these other boys because none of them actually talk and if they're real people then they should have that capacity so i think they probably all had their tongues out at some point just a theory. Well, and, and or they just never well, were yeah, taught how I mean, to speak, yeah. and they don't know how to talk. Right. Yeah, I guess I depending mean, on when they're abducted, going, sure. Yeah. Going back to the uh, notion of, you know, speak no evil, see no evil, hear no evil, as an idea, as a as symbolism, mm-hmm. <laughs> the people under the stairs works. And so if we keep if we if we keep them as an idea, then, you know, we get it. But then when we start to wonder, do they have a civilization down there? That's where it gets kind of murky. Yeah, because we don't really interact with them. They're there as like a early scare tactic of like, oh, there's something creepy behind Mm -hmm. these wooden boards. Um, And we get flashes of their faces here and there when the meat's thrown at them. But they don't really right. figure into the plot, right? Until like the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, they're just there. Yeah. Well, this could. I, I'm wondering too if this is like a horror movie strategy, right? Because um, in the first season of our podcast, we did the Halloween franchise, and what we understand about Michael Myers is that his background is not important to the story. He's literally just there. And a lot of meaning is projected on Michael Myers and bounced off of him. And so I'm like, is that the same tactic that's being used with the people under the stairs? It's definitely a draw, you know, because if the movie recalled something other than people under the stairs, it wouldn't have that same sort of mysterious appeal. Yeah. So you have that mm-hmm. aspect of it. I mean, if you just call it like mommy and daddy. Yeah, if you called it mommy <laughs> it and daddy, as... you would be like, I don't want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> or trap yeah. house, even. You know, something uh-huh. like that wouldn't have. Trap house. Uh, which has I, a whole other connotation surpri- now, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm surprised at the broad appeal this movie got. Um, we were talking about how its box office performance was earlier. Um, it wasn't a hit, but in Hollywood terms, it was solid. Yeah. So it wasn't a flop either. And I'm just, well. I'm just amazed that like, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it had a budget of like 6 million. It grossed about 31. So, I mean, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, top 50. It was 55th place in the box office total. Um, Hmm. but i mean yeah. for a horror movie that's pretty making good. like five times your budget is not it is i mean it also has like the west craven name on it and yeah. it's just you know after true doing, also, yeah um, exactly i was also Nightmare looking at Elm street um, so they're probably like oh they're probably going to see something similar to that right yeah, that's right i was I also looking at some of the box office uh mm-hmm. releases before this mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. this came out in november 1st there's nothing in the top 50 of box office performances that came out in October. So like people are wanting to see something. Yeah. This is around Halloween. <laughs> it's kind of like a dead people... zone in yeah. 
the release calendar when this came out. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, Friday's guess... Dead came out in September. Yeah, yes. What's... Friday the weird 13th or... in September. What, what's really weird, too, about um, the there's kind of this horror fatigue um, that was happening at the end of... This is where my horror nerd comes in. So check into okay. our podcast Woo! to hear this like every week if you're interested or avoid us if this is boring <laughs> but um <laughs> but like in the late 80s basically the a lot of people felt that the whole entire genre of horror had basically run out of steam because between um halloween friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street you have these three big long-running franchises finally starting to peter out and then up until scream is released in 1996 basically the early 90s are like a dearth of horror there's not really anything that stands out and even the friday the 13th entry uh which is jason goes to hell and um nightmare in elm street the one that you watched that came out in 1991 freddy's dead the final nightmare like they're just not very good and they don't quite reach the heights of what happened before so it's like it felt like in this time period the early 90s they're just wasn't that much interest in horror and also keep in mind you know with the gulf war and stuff going on like there's real world horror and stuff so Mm -hmm. there seems to be this kind of this reactionary kind of pendulum swinging the other way of like i think we're done with horror we can this genre has kind of run its course and so it wasn't until we get that infusion of new life with scream in the 1996 that there's kind of a renaissance of horror they even mentioned the Gulf War yeah. in People Under the yeah. Stairs. It was on TV. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was going to be more of a um, social commentary that was going to be part of the plot. But it was just that one little yeah. bit where the people under the stairs are watching the news footage of the overnight strikes. Uh, 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 it's interesting, Pace, that you brought up the horror fatigue that was happening at the movies because the dearth of... Uh, horror movies that's being made for the big screen it kind of opens up the way for tv to creep in and fill in that void because um parallel to this time we see tales from the crypt emerge that was 1989 um on hbo and then you know there was later on a a couple years after that twin peaks 1993 the x-files comes in so there's kind of that shift to the small screen oh for sure we go back in the movie where Roach is helping Fool to get out, and you know he sh- Fool or Roach shows Fool where the money is, where the gold coins are, or at least gives him some of them. Yeah, some of them. Um, yeah, so we should explain who Roach is. Roach is like the only named person under the stairs who escapes from under the stairs and gets into the walls but doesn't know how to leave the house beyond that yeah and so he's helping alice he's building a relationship with alice to some degree uh they share food and whatnot um and all this kind of stuff and and so they're sort of helping each other um and roach is played by sean whalen who you'll definitely recognize the face of if you see him Uh, but this is his very first feature I was trying to. No, I said I was trying to place that actor, but uh, uh, it, do you know the Got Milk commercial? Yeah, so most famously, oh, he was in the Got Milk yeah. commercial 
uh, where he has <laughs> peanut butter in his mouth. He's he trying to win a radio contest. His mouth, and he's the Aaron Burr guy where he's trying to say Aaron Burr, but he's got peanut butter in his mouth. <laughs> Oh, oh my! And then goodness. it goes to the cut. I know him as Aaron Burr guy. <laughs> yeah, so he's Aaron Burr guy. Uh, he was also in Twister. He had a bit part in Twister. He had a part in Waterworld. He was in Revenge of the Nerds three. <laughs> he's been in a whole bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, we can talk about that later. Like what he's been in. And he's been in yes. the T Rex. Yes, yes. Which we've seen. Yes. I had to think about this a little bit. Yes, you're right. He was in Twister. He was part of the... Yeah, he's yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so he's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Um, very, very characteristic face. So yeah, he helps them. Um, and then he eventually also gets shot and killed yeah. by Daddy. Uh, but gives... Uh, he fool, gives Fool uh, the, some of the coins. coins. and that, But Fool is able to escape eventually and he shows the coins to right. his family his grandfather and his sister and his grandfather that's where his grandfather tells the story of mommy and daddy yeah, i was probably looking up his credits at that point oh was that well the grandfather <laughs> <laughs> yeah. saying, checked out yes yeah, uh, yeah, bill that- combs will be in three other 1991 movies carolina skeletons the hard way and new jack city uh but he's also an earbud <laughs> but yeah he, he was saying how that's where i know him from. i'm dying, <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I, like, well, I, I like that movie as a lad <laughs> i've not seen her but... <laughs> but yeah grand grandpa tells the story of mommy and daddy and you know how their parents owned oh, a funeral home a landlord of yeah i get yeah and then they eventually just started owning other buildings and becoming you know greedy and saying how the coins that he got from their basement could pay for their rent for what, like ten years, and then also no, for more. his mom's like, like cancer treatment. No, he like, says. <laughs> yes, he said under the year two thousand. Oh, in the year two thousand. The year <laughs> until the year okay. two thousand. So, so nine years, I guess, no, if so. we're talking about. <laughs> and, until I still don't know what you did last summer came out, which is yeah. what he's also in. <laughs> And I just have to say, like, I I can't be the only one who felt this way, though. At this point in the movie, I felt like the movie was done. And because he escaped, he has enough money to pay. Right, because he escaped. And then it's like, I, um, I, the first time watching it, I just kind of uh, looked at the timestamp to see how much was left. And it's like, how is there still another half an hour left to this movie? What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah, but Fool wants to well, go and back and save. Yeah, Alice his is friend, still in Alice. there. The the villains have exactly, not Exactly, yeah. Their retribution or you know, um their comeuppance. Yeah. So you can't leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, uh the romantic side of me was thinking, oh, he's gonna go back for Alice, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, I and he does. Funny. Yeah, he does. I think it is weird how he escapes to begin with, though, because the house is so much of a fortress. But yet there's just some random open window in the attic that... Well, because Alice is afraid of the attic, so they I guess they never really did anything with the attic because she's so afraid of it. But I mean, if they know that, like, Roach or whoever else is... Yeah, I, you know, yeah. And then and, also and, the pond. I mean, that's an easy way to just go down. Yeah, and they said, like, when he comes back, Alice says, 
one of the first things that daddy did was to drain the pool or pond and put glass under there, but he didn't close the window and bolt that up. That's still open again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you can still why? escape in a way. <laughs> little, little tiny plot holes. Yep, the yep. other thing that I found was really interesting is when they were hosting the cops to go back to that really quickly. Yeah. The scenes before that, he's shooting up the walls, trying to get people. Yes. And yet the cops are roaming. The hallways and they don't see shot holes through the walls. Patch it up. Yeah, I don't know what exactly. But they have these weird like moving walls because, you know, when Ving Rhames goes, they first go in, break in and Ving Rhames does something. And then this wall shuffles yeah. to the side and then a whole new like wall and room appeared. <laughs> so you think they had like uh like secondary sort of walls I don't know. that they could put on top yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't know. That house was pretty, you know, pretty functional <laughs> for for its time, you yeah, know? I mean, I'm thinking Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's very high tech. I'm like, you know, it it could be a Tesla house. Right. And this is like <laughs> I'm thinking the whole time I saw the first time I saw this, I was thinking Oh, so this is where Ving Rhames learned how to break into high-tech things in Mission Impossible from this <laughs> uh, Oh, wow. You, I was thinking well, of, you were better uh, than I am. I was thinking about the gimp suit and Ving Rhames. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. You two are, are um, I guess I'm on the wholesome end here. Oh. <laughs> because when I thought... Uh, when I when I when I saw Ving Rhames, I thought of how he was uh, Agent Cobra Bubbles and Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, I didn't. But put no, you all are thinking. I go to his character as Marcellus Wallace, like immediately. <laughs> yeah, y'all were thinking about his gimp suit yeah. and Mission Impossible. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's Agent Bubbles. He's going to be in uh, well, the, two more 1991 movies yeah. as well. So, Oh, wow. The um, the, the, the actor who plays the kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember him. I remember him from Family Matters. He mm. was Weasel, a bully who was in the first season. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he was very active around this time. And then he kind of just stopped acting as a kid. He wanted to have like a normal life at some point, but. Um, he was in the Mighty Ducks, which is how I knew Good him, uh, and also oh, right. Sandlot, yeah. which is another major role for him. Yeah, uh, and he was also in Moonwalker, which I've yeah. never seen. But I, he has I was a prominent obsessed role in with Moonwalker. Moonwalker, so I remember he was one of the kids that wanted to help out Annie. I don't know if you remember, like I never smooth... saw it. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's the smooth, I never like saw the either. smooth criminal video. He's in it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, like, isn't isn't the aesthetic kind of similar with him and the zombie people under the stairs. He has done some stuff here and there. Like he's done yeah. a voice in kingdom hearts two, yeah. for instance. Uh-huh. Um, and he still maintained friendships with some of the people. And he was actually in the car when, um, another fellow child actor, the guy who played Rudy's boyfriend in the Cosby show, I forget his name off the top of my head. Uh, he was, Oh, murdered. wow. And he was in the car when mm-hmm. the person came up and murdered him. Mm-hmm. So he's still sort of like in the Holy scene, even if cow. he wasn't acting. Uh, he was, with, you know, still oh my. that group. So he's he said he's had a life. Remember yeah. that? Wow. Yeah. No, I 
I remember that story. Just haven't thought of it in quite a while. Wow. Interesting. Well, I remember, um, so, you know, me and Pace were uh, screening this movie and texting each other our comments. And Pace <laughs> reacted with a bunch of exclamation marks when I pointed out that I recognized the gal playing Alice. Me, Ray and Graf. Who, <laughs> yeah, who later appeared on My Soul Called Life playing Rayanne Graff and is now literally a princess. Yeah. <laughs> she married into royalty. I love it. And John, A.G. Wanger. Yeah, yeah. John has never seen My Soul yeah. Called Life, so I was like, life. you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, 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 it was so angsty and beautiful to watch as a middle schooler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, we can watch this on Hulu if you want. Yeah, uh, it is. We'll also it's see only her like in the 1991 movie, and you thought your parents were weird. Yeah. So we'll, that'll be a fun comparison because that's like a goofy alien parent okay. comedy for kids. Uh, and, you know, so she has crazy parents in both movies. Yeah, back to the. Yeah. I may vaguely remember that. <laughs> so, yeah, like back to the movie. So, Grandpa is telling Fool about the lore of mommy and daddy and then saying how Alice is not, <laughs> not truly their daughter that she was stolen as a child or a baby maybe. And then yeah. they want to raise her as their own. And that's when he goes in and saves her. And then he tells her once he finds her, he tells her, you know, you are not their daughter and um, tries to help her escape. Mm-hmm. And then that's when mommy and daddy find out that Fool's back in the house and they want to kill Fool. Yeah, it, I forget exactly how they find out that he is back in the house. Um, but they do lure him with that tape of, of that prayer, the one yes. that lay me down to sleep right. prayer. They have like a tape playing in the bed and he thinks he's able to... Because he has them. like a shotgun, I think, at that point, Yeah, right? he, he's there to kill them, yeah. yeah. To get there, and, and, and he also our... knows about the money, so he wants to get the money and save Alice. Yeah, yeah, because they found the gold coins. The rumor is true. The whole thing is, you know, they Spencer who gets killed off very early on. Uh, Leroy and Fool are there to rob these gold coins that are supposedly like this mythical thing that this family has. Uh, they find out that they're true, especially with Roach's help. And now he's back for the money uh, and also to save Alice primarily at that point. Um, and he's able to get a gun. Um, and there's this weird standoff at some point where <sighs> Fool is in the basement. He's on the stairs, which yeah. he knows will turn into a slide. Yes. Daddy opens the door and Fool does not shoot him right away. And instead he gets slid down the stairs again. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, this is one of the biggest problems I have with a lot of movies is that the heroes and the villains both hesitate and they will, yeah, you know, say like every words instead of actually do the thing that would resolve the problem. Yeah, there are so many times where one of them could have been killed like immediately. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, both both sides. Yeah, both sides. Um, but they choose to prolong it for whatever torture reasons or who knows what <laughs> right yeah it's all and the foreplay yeah you seem well, in the gimp suit, i remember so. i remember um yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember reading an interview um 
some Hollywood executive was talking about insider info and they're very aware of moments like this and they just kind of have to over overlook them because there would then be no movie yeah, but the exactly. problem is that they can't think of they can't think of anything more clever <laughs> to justify why say fool wouldn't have pushed the trigger <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so and and so to us watching it as an audience it's like dude you could have had him yeah maybe part of it is that it's intentional to make us feel smarter than the characters so you know we have mm-hmm. that reaction because a lot of horror movies is oh no why didn't you do this why'd you go yeah, that way don't go yelling upstairs. like run away or whatever. so it's another thing's like shoot him shoot Girl, shoot you him. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it just gets that reaction out of us and that's intentional too Behind you, I mean, behind to be you. Fair, exactly. To, yeah. To be fair Don't stand to, on the stairs. There's a slide. <laughs> to be fair to the fool, yeah. <laughs> though, as well composed as he is throughout the movie, he is only thirteen, and I yeah, as, as exactly. a thirteen-year-old, I don't think yeah. I would shoot right away if I saw something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like also, that situation. I don't even know how to use also, a gun, so it's like. Well, let's also go back to the race relations thing, which we yeah. kind of touched on a little bit too. It's like you have this young thirteen-year-old boy who would be shooting an adult white man in his own house. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you have that dynamic right. that probably isn't going through the audience's mind, but could very well be going through fools and mm-hmm. Wes Ravens, yeah. who's writing yeah. the script. I think, yeah, I don't think his intention I mean, is to kill them. I think his intention is just to get the money and get Alice. Like, he just wants yeah. to run away from these people. True. Well, and John, what you're saying just now is not a stretch at all because I'm thinking of uh, an early piece of dialogue between Mommy and the cops where Mommy uh, says, or the cop says something like, you know, or Mommy says, it's not fair. It's like we're the ones who are behind bars. Uh, It was something really bigoted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, what what Pace had said earlier about the the whole Black Lives Matter matter uh movement i think this this is sort of the a lot of these themes are coming up in 1991 movies and i think we're probably going to see this more as we go into things like um i don't know some of the other like black led movies like new jack city perhaps yes but we saw it um oh gosh what was the movie i don't remember anymore but um like and and also like boys in the hood definitely oh yeah you know like this is like pre Rodney well, yeah, King. this is like Rodney King. This is like era. things people are starting to become aware about, uh, at least in the mass culture suburb area. Um, that you know the people who are entrenched in it have known for years, and it's just finally starting to trickle out into mainstream society and yeah. will overflow in a year from now. Yeah. And what's interesting well, to me when I watch oh, this ahead. is. The first time, because the first time I watched it, it wasn't connected to your podcast. I wasn't thinking in my head 1991, but I knew it was early 90s. So I had to look it up Mm -hmm. and to to see if it happened after the Los Angeles riots in 1992, because it felt like it could be a commentary on that. But Mm -hmm. clearly this happened before. But I think that's just testament to like kind of the rising tension there, race-based tension in a lot of the metropolitan metropolitan areas and also a testament mm. to just like knowing what's going on in the time just as stuff as tensions continue to rise and in the late reagan early bush era as you know um the economy starting to fall apart again a little bit and then so so it just i feel like there's a lot of like this is all kind of in the 
water as it's happening. Um, so, so it's, so that's yes. one of the things I find so fascinating about your podcast. 1991 is like, who would have thought that 1991 would have so much, so, so, so much co social commentary in a way that's still very relevant today, like 30 years later. So it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I think I we'll feel see like, that yeah, quite what a is bit the word? not only the race relations side of things, but also in terms of uh, LGBTQIA space. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, awareness that's coming out yeah. from um, those conversations at the same time, because Magic Johnson is also in 1992 when he contracts HIV. And so, like, it's also on the cusp right. of that yeah. big discussion. Yeah, we have had so a discussion about, like, the AIDS epidemic around this time. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be an and interesting... Then, batch of movies to cover as we go on from that yeah, standpoint yeah. yeah and then remember when the movie ends that song that plays over the credits is literally called do the right thing <laughs> yeah. yeah i was like uh what yeah <laughs> which i'm assuming was inspired by spike lee's movie in, in terms of the title right from yeah from what 88 or 89 um so we'll hear we'll hear that guy redhead kingpin and fbi did that song uh we'll hear his songs again in the 1991 movie new jack city mm -hmm. and that guy also acts in the movie strictly business alice finds out that she is not their daughter that's when you know they try to find they gain well they try to fool and alice work together to try to get out and yeah. that's when, you know, mommy and daddy find out that Fool's there. They're, you know, shooting up the walls, searching for him. And Alice had They're, been yeah. chained up in the attic at this point. After yeah. Fool escapes the first time, Alice is punished by being chained up in the attic. Yeah. Attic. Because she's yeah. afraid of the attic. And she and did that's not like follow a, Fool. Is that like a flowers in the attic? That's why I was thinking like V.C. Andrews. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's odd that that's the only place that they can escape, whereas flowers in the attic, they cannot escape the attic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's like a kind of an inverse thing going mm -hmm. on. So, yeah, she, they, uh, um, Fool saves Alice. And that's when, you know, Mommy finds, well, Alice knows, you know, all the ins and outs through the walls <laughs> because Roach showed her <laughs> or told her. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, her... Well, rem remember, Alice was feeding Roach. Yeah, we yeah. We see Roach's arm in the beginning, <laughs> And, um, yeah, so then Mommy is trying to find Alice to save her because they think, you know, Fool is coming after her. And Daddy's trying to find Fool, yeah. so he's, like, shooting up the walls. And then Mommy finds Alice, and then she finds, you know, Alice... They're like, conf they confront each other and Alice is like, I know I'm not your daughter. And that's when mommy um, pretty much like beats her up and she's like, go to hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another mommy dearest yes, moment. Yes, <laughs> beats her and yeah, says, go to hell. Extreme makeup so too. then she goes to daddy and she's like, kill, yeah, <laughs> kill Alice too, because you know, Alice uh, knows that she's not her daughter. Yeah, this is this is the no more wire hangers. Moment. Yes, <laughs> and yep. that's when you know, like uh, Grandpa and Fool's sister come to the door. Yes, to confront them as landlords. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, they know fools, the fool's coming, right? Yeah, fools? they know fool's so coming. So it's also like sort of yeah. also to act as support or distraction. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. How did Fool's sister introduce herself or like from the society of people who are generally fucking Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Mommy's like, what? I don't know. Her face is funny. She's like, what the fuck? This is like That's another most- little plot hole, though. <laughs> yeah. Because when um, Ruby comes to the door, um, Mommy just opens up the door altogether. But yeah, when Spencer just- comes earlier in the yeah, movie, she, uses that little- she has a little peephole thing. I mean, mommy's already like, uh, she's already like frazzled from Alice. So she's probably yeah. like, what? Like, she just opens Maybe. the door and says, what yeah, do you want? Yeah. <laughs> and I also love how this is like perhaps one of the most uh, overt um, political moments of the film where it very clearly seems like uh, Wes Craven is putting putting on his socialism hat and be like this is the proletariat uprising this is how he advanced this kind of thing <laughs> it like the whole community is gathered together against yeah. these two capitalists and let's let's tear down the system mm-hmm. that's what i was really hoping was happening but most of the people just stay outside and watch yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't know like, yeah, I, even I, when mommy like gets up from being knocked out exactly and like escapes, yeah they could have came into the yeah. house no and, one like, tells them hey house, i know why did who knows no one no rushes one her stormed in. Yeah. pulls her down that was exact that was exactly my <laughs> hope john i because when 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 the reveal was made for all the people standing outside i remember texting to pace oh my gosh the townspeople have come with their torches mm-hmm. yes yeah, but they didn't like do anything no they came with their matches yeah but yeah. it's like all well, like fool finds you know that vault with their yeah. Scrooge McDuck money, like yeah. all up in there, with the help of the <laughs> right. stairmaster. Yeah, with the stairmaster. The, st- the stairmaster. <laughs> well, I think I, even even though we didn't get the you know townspeople uprising scene we wanted, I think the point was very well made because when um, Ruby and Mommy are bickering with each mm-hmm. other, the punchline. Ruby Ruby says, you know, we're going to stand up as a community. And then Mommy's like, oh, what community? Ugh. And then all the people behind yeah, gather up. up. And yeah. I, felt, I felt so I felt so happy because I'm like, this is what it's going to feel like to finally destroy capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, the people are watching. Even if they aren't acting at this very moment. Yeah, they're watching. They, they know who you are. They are now watching you. Amen. 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 <laughs> So then we um, see Daddy finds Fool in that vault, and that's when they have like a standoff. You see that Fool yeah. has explosives. Yeah. Set up. Oh, before that though, Mommy uh, gets her comeuppance though. What's that? Oh, before Mommy. That, mommy gets her comeuppance because the people under the stairs are let loose. Yes. 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 They, they start, start coming through the walls and and stairs. And literally burst yes. through the, the stairs. This, yeah. Yes. This is this is what I was afraid of the whole movie, right? Like as a kid. People jumping of out of part. walls and like out of the stairs. And like, that's the reason why I would not want to see the movie. And here <laughs> I love that. It was like this twist of like, it's not scary anymore. It's hopeful. It's like an uprising yeah. against the oppressors. Uh-huh. It's their liber. It's their yeah. liberation. Yeah, it's liberating. It's not a scary thing. So I love that aspect to it. And yeah, yeah they all rush mommy and yeah, uh, they she all stabbed by Alice and yeah. tumbles down the stairs in a nice little homage to Vertigo and possibly Psycho. Mm. So, 
Eyes Without a Face. There was a really great tumbling death scene in that movie mm. that lasted two hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, m- mommy's gone. Mommy's gone. And then yeah, fool creates his own little trap. Yeah, with the explosives, and then he shows and the candles. It. Yes, that was a cool part with the candles right. and the coins. Yeah, it really trick, trick daddy. <laughs> trick daddy. <laughs> no, no, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and uh, yeah, does not a... appear on the soundtrack. No, no trick, trick daddy. daddy does not appear. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, so fool sets off the explosive that kills daddy and then all these coins and money just come through the roof and like everywhere everywhere else yeah the explosions the explosions were just they killed daddy somehow sort of but not but nothing in the house the house is fine yeah that was (laughs) weird everyone else (laughs) just only killed him and no one else not even the guy like the men under the stairs yeah. But they eventually the house is indestructible. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird explosion. And yeah, sequence. I mean, meanwhile, you have the people outside, you know, taking money from that blast and then it freed the people under the stairs. The yeah. end. Then cue the song. Yeah, cue yeah. the song. Do the right thing. <laughs> Do the right what thing. Yeah, they, they ex- uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, though, you know, that explosion for me was fun. It was also over the top because, like, I'm not used to seeing that effect in a horror movie, you know, maybe an action movie like Die Hard, which I think was around this time as well. But I just thought it was a interesting way to, like, end, the, end a horror movie. Or even a comedy like What About Bob? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we went over the beats of the plot, but are there, you know, since you're horror nerds at church, are there any like religious themes or discussions that we have not covered so far yeah. that you guys want to get into? I mean, for me, for for me, it was, for me, it was, it's, it was pretty clear as to be like too obvious, you know, the people under the stairs or the people being oppressed and everyone upstairs is, you know, the global north. And um, you know, this is this 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 dichotomy is essentially the relationship that privileged people have with the least of society. You know, they they try to keep them hidden in the shadows. Essentially, you're trying to control, you're trying to exert your control over them. You know, you want to be generous when you feel like generous, being generous. So, you know, occasionally you feed the people under the stairs or maybe even let them see a hint of daylight. And that's kind of what I think uh, modern human society is right now. You know, there's so many bad things going on in the world, but people would still prefer to... I don't know, donate to a charity. Maybe they'll toss a couple of coins into a panhandler's hat. And it's like, you know, there are people being slaughtered in like wholesale in countries. And that's just in addition to COVID. Like we have to do something more than be charitable. Yeah. And it, this is kind of one of those, this movie really touches on one of those kind of theological themes that is near to, and dear to both Joe's and my heart because we met in a class called God and Capitalism. So 
we kind of yes so, so it's kind of been in joe's and my friendship has kind of been a recurring theme is like just doing that kind of economic analysis theological analysis and stuff so with this movie exactly like joe is saying there's all these things about capitalism but then it's also tying this into this theme of liberation of how one can be liberated right. from their oppressors uh there, there's this kind of communal aspect of liberation with all the people gathered outside uh, um then there's also kind exactly. of exactly you have one of the things i like about this movie which is rare for a 90s movie that written and directed by a white person about race is to actually mm-hmm. have a black person be the protagonist and help themselves mm-hmm. and fix the yes. problem themselves without having a white savior so mm-hmm. to kind of take that kind kind of piece too like there's this element of of um what's the word i'm looking for uh basically a oh agency of giving giving Yes, really giving agency. a person agency over their own life and their own future to be able to stand up against the oppression and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of ways that ties into the Bible. I mean, the most obvious one, I think, for people who might not be Christian or know much about scripture, uh, the Judeo-Christian scriptures, but um, still a lot of people at least know about the Exodus story, about the the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt mm-hmm. and then escaping from their captivity, um, being led by Moses as kind of this gifted spiritual leader to leave. And so there's kind of this um, sense that Fool is this kind of Moses character, able to rescue these people (laughs) under the stairs, able to bring together a community to stand up against the oppression. So I definitely think it plays with that trope a fair amount. Um, And it also kind of ties into the tarot a little bit in the beginning with you know, the fool taking his own destiny, which is one of the central parts of that card in the major arcana is like you, you build your own destiny as you walk through the ups and downs in life. Oh, great pace. Now you, now you've planted a mental image in my head. I'm replaying the scene where all the people under the stairs, you know, jump out of liberation and someone is yelling, let my people go. (laughs) So that's the way, that's the way that scene is playing out in my head now. I also want to. I also want to. Is cut out. So uh, it's so yeah. Different. Uh, yes, yes, it yep. is. It is. They, it's kind of vibrating from their throats, I suppose. One <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things that um, so Christianity gets a lot of flack today, as it should, because the Christians who practicing it who practice it suck. Um, so we forget that there are basic, simple things that make up. Christianity, um, and one of them is community. Um, when you know, when Jesus um, becomes aware that he's about to die, you know, among some of the last things he says, which is recorded in Scripture, is can be summed up as, "Y'all got to take care of yourselves. I'm coming back, yes, but you all got to do this together." You know, while I'm away doing whatever whatever it is I'm doing in the afterlife. Um, so community is really central here. And that's why I like I like the bickering scene between Ruby and Mommy so much, you know, because Mommy's position when she says, what what community? She she says that with the kind of feeling that I will uh, would associate with, you know, big corporations and things like that because their objective is to break down community so that we'll be 
powerless enough to rely on capitalism, to rely on the corporation, to rely on the institution instead of relying on one another. Yeah, and I think also with, with mommy and daddy, they're they're obviously meant to be projected as the most religious, but it's also very obvious that they're not following any of the actual tenets of Christianity that they're trying to hide behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're cherry picking. That's something we really. <laughs> speaking of the connections between this and flowers in the attic, Joe and I, uh, if if you're um, haven't listened to our episode to all of you listeners out there who are hearing about us for the first time definitely check out our flowers in the attic episode because it's a very interesting companion piece of this movie and that's one of the things we talk about in yeah. that movie with louis fletcher playing this kind of matronly figure who literally is carrying around a bible the entire movie but never opens it once it's like never <laughs> opened it like she's using christianity just as a prop simply as a prop uh, thank you very much for that um I think what we'll do now is just go into awards really quickly. Uh, there are a couple, all from the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards from this year. Chainsaw. This is a real. Is this an, a real award? Yeah. Yeah. Fangoria magazine <laughs> Fangoria. also gave out <laughs> yeah. awards. Uh, obviously not like a televised event, oh, wow. but they, you know they do um, honor horror and sci-fi stuff each year. Um. So this had several different nominations, but no wins. Um, best Aww. actor for Everett McGill, uh, who played my, uh, Daddy. Mm. <laughs> um, he lost <laughs> Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. Actress Wendy Roby also is nominated. <laughs> she lost to Jodie Foster. Supporting um. actress for A.J. Langer, who played Alice. Uh, but that went to Christina Ricci. For the Adams family, um, uh, oh, best fair. studio slash big budget <laughs> film. It was nominated for that as well, uh, but lost to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, screenplay for Wes Craven lost to Ted Talley for Silence of the Lambs, and then makeup effects. Uh, that group lost to Terminator Two. Yeah, I mean those movies oh. were just better. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's really yeah. tough to compete yeah. against, you know. Yeah. Really big boys. Mm-hmm. Um, any cast and crew that we haven't mentioned yet? We pretty much talked about everybody. I normally go through like a lot of credits and stuff, but we're kind of running long. Um, I will mention that Kelly Jo Minter played the sister. We talked about her character name, but didn't talk about her by name. So Kelly Jo Minter, we've seen her before in Doc Hollywood. She was at the very opening. She oh. was like one of the um, doctors in the opening scenes of that. But we'll also see her a couple more times in Alfred Justice, New Jack City, um, and then also Popcorn. Um, and she has experience with Wes Craven's Empire because uh, she was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Yes. So. Really? Interesting. I think that's the only person that we haven't mentioned by name and given some sort of credit. Um, oh, something interesting mm-hmm. about A.J. Langer, actually. She around this time she was in a sitcom called Drexel's Class. I don't know if anyone here has heard of this. Oh my, oh my gosh! I think Joe yes, <laughs> but you, you, you. Well, no, you mentioning it is literally like when you find a really ancient object and you just blow the <laughs> dust off of it. Oh, like a, like a gold coin in a basement of a crazy person's house. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
We um, haven't so talked just, about that wow. yet. But yeah, she was in like episodes of Blossom and Parker Lewis Can't Lose. And also yeah. Beverly Hills oh, 90210 before she was in My So-Called Life as Rianne Graff. Oh my gosh. As we all know. But Drexel's class, though. <laughs> so, yeah, so Drexel's class I wanted to mention because like one, uh, she shared, uh, Brendan Adams was in one episode of that with her. So they had like a reconnection uh, in that. Oh. Uh, but also like this cast is just packed. So it's uh, Dabney Coleman is the lead. He plays Drexel who has the class. Mm. <laughs> and then you have um, Edie McClurg is in there who probably most likely know her from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Stay off. Uh, but in a whole bunch of other stuff, Brittany Murphy is there. Oh, wow. Jason Biggs, Matthew oh. Lawrence. So oh. like, it's, it's a lot of big names that went yeah. on to have large careers. So, and one oh. became royalty. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and I also do want to quickly mention Connie Marie Brazelton, who played Mary, which is the mother, because she had very little dialogue. She basically just laid in a bed the whole oh, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you ER fans probably know her as Nurse Connie Oligario. Yeah. No, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Again, it's like Connie and ER. Yeah. So I figured that might be a hit with this group. Yeah. (laughs) Her face is now. Yes, her face is now materializing in my head. Good find. I also want to mention that uh, I don't think it's still active, but she also at one point owned and designed a jewelry company called Bonji Face with CCH Pounder. Hmm. Hmm. So they were together in business. Oh, no I don't think it's active anymore. <laughs> so that's oh, a weird wow. little side note. That's so cool. That's our short Fun. little pause on the credits, as we call it. <laughs> nice. Uh, so with that out of the way, I think it's on to move to true crime and pop culture. Yeah. Ooh. So, I mean, we talked a lot about pop culture already. Um, the- a little bit. And the only thing that I found that was true crimey was that this was uh, based off of a true story, like loosely based. And was it really? Yes. And I. <laughs> what kind of story? <laughs> I was. I couldn't find like an article or anything because this happened in 1978, and um, you know oh. I would have to go to a library like. Helen Lyle in Candy in Candyman and find a microfiche. Ter- 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 terrible, <laughs> terrible confirmation. Yeah. Terrible uh, because Helen, you know, jumped into the fire we... and died. So, but so yeah. <laughs> so, writer director Wes Craven based this story loosely in part on a real world world incident that happened in 1978, and it was a pair of burglars who forced their way into a home in an LA quote ghetto. Oh shit! And when the police showed up, they made a shocking and unrelated discovery where the couple that was living there had locked their two children in the basement of the home. Oh, Jesus! And that led Wes Craven into the story where about fool who lives, you know, in the LA quote, they, they use this term LA ghetto. So I'm just quoting that and about his family who can't pay the rent and breaks into a mansion where there's children under the stairs or people under the stairs. Holy cow. Wait a minute. So 
this starts out as your usual robbery slash home invasion. Yeah, but it turns out there's children living in the basement. Okay. (laughs) That's They happened in 1978. Oh my goodness. And then we sort of talked about this, but yeah, Wes Craven was going to make a people under the stairs series and it was for the sci-fi channel and it was like it was prior Um, to his death and the show never moved forward because r.i.p wes craven and (laughs) but he said and this was like an article saying that he was describing it as quote a contemporary downton abbey meets amityville horror but I would have loved to see I know, that. Me too. <laughs> me too. But yeah, it is in the works that it looks like Jordan Peele is going to make a People Under the Stairs remake. That'd using interesting. his monkey. I think he could do more with the... Yeah, the especially what he did with too. Candyman. I know you haven't seen Candyman yet, but yeah. yeah. And also probably the, the capitalistic side, because a lot of yeah. this stuff is alluded to, um, but you could probably take it a little bit farther with some of the commentary yeah wow well that's that's good to know because for me personally jordan peele is now my new wes craven yeah i will watch any movie yeah, with tur- his yeah, name attached tur- to it it's just very interesting <laughs> to, to watch like key yeah. and peele <laughs> yeah and then and to know like how jordan oh, yeah. peele is with all his movies and it's like, but it's like craven though with music of the heart like this hard right turn yeah. Like, uh, yeah. okay i guess we're good yeah, i think that was Meryl just him wanting to do something Estevan. completely different right and what, that movie was very underrated <laughs> yeah exactly yes yes very underrated <laughs> so okay i mean i usually talk about tv and music but the tv the tv that I was on was the typical tgif lineup which we've talked about a million times already but I'm just going to, since like <laughs> Joe mentioned Mariah Carey, I'm going to do the top 100 <laughs> for the week. All 100. No, I'm just doing the top five of the hundred <laughs> of the week. So the top R&B song was Emotions by Mariah Carey. Oh, man. Wow. And then the top nice. pop song was the song called Romantic by Karen White. And we, we usually put up the uh, videos on our website. And then number two was Emotions by Mariah Carey. And then number three mm. was Cream by Prince. And number four was uh. Do Anything by Natural Selection. We'll we'll put a video up. And then number five was <laughs> Can't Stop This Thing We Started by Brian Adams. Another Brian Adams song. That's not everything I do. Wow. I do it for you. Wow. But I mean... <laughs> People are probably buying Brian Adams albums because of that song. I guess so. Right. If they have to. <laughs> John doesn't like Brian Adams. I, I don't. don't. His voice bothers me. But but he teaches you how to love a woman, how to really love a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not for like four years from now. I know. We don't know that yet. <laughs> Under rankings and ratings then. Uh, so we'll start with us, I guess. So, Nikki, on your one to five star scale, where would you put the people under the stairs? I'm giving this a four. Four out of five? Yes. Uh, yeah, my zero to four star scale, which is what the typical critics use with the half stars and everything. I'm actually giving it a three and a half. I, I know that we nitpicked a lot of it. Um, clearly not perfect, but it was like 
much more enjoyable than I thought it was going yeah. to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so three out of four. Three, three, three and, and, and a half, half out of four. Uh, Payson, do I know who wants to go first? I know that you, I think you typically use a 10 yep. point scale on your podcast. We do. We're and we're doing machetes we're on right hockey now masks because, this year. Well, oh, yeah, machetes. Machetes. machetes because of <laughs> So maybe one out of 10 gold coins for this or something. Or yeah, one yeah, out of yeah. 10 uh, <laughs> gold coins or whatever. One out of 10 princes. Or one out of 10 tarot cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it a go, Pace. Okay, what do you think? I... I will rank this probably six gold coins and half with an extra half. So six and a half. And that half is that shadowy uh, skull appearing over the house. has nothing to do with the movie. (laughs) And that's just because it's it's a solid movie. It's fun. It's goofy. It's silly. I don't think it quite holds up by today's standards. And I'm really curious to see what like a contemporary take on this with the monkey paw productions would be. Cause I think there's like some mm-hmm. great foundation here for a great movie. It just, the pieces don't quite work for, for sure. me um, when you put them together. What about you, Joe? Well, I feel like, I feel like whatever um, Jordan Peele comes up with through monkey paw is going to be a different beast from this original movie. And um, my reasoning for saying that is I am giving this, eight gold coins out of 10 um, because of all of the many different (laughs) themes this movie seemed to have. I, and for once I empathize with the movie studio's marketing department here. Um, The one that stands out for me is like the adventure aspect. I love the kids, you know, like, you know, they're, they're caught in this house of horrors and they got to figure their way out. And I think that's a really fun cinematic time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we always like to say that uh, every movie is worth watching once, but would you watch this again? Yes, I would watch this. I would definitely yes. watch this again. <laughs> I would absolutely oh, yeah, for watch sure. I, I, if there's a special edition, I will like purchase If it's like playing that. at a movie theater, like a midnight type of madness thing, I would totally yes. see this. Because I, I would like to see it in oh a big gosh, crowd. That would be, right? Yeah. I think that would be, be I mean, Me COVID. Too not but yeah. like that much yeah. is withstanding i think this is a good movie like you're saying nikki to see this in a crowd because it, it kind of has like that campiness of like rocky yeah. horror picture show or something where mm-hmm. it's like the crowd will make sure. the experience yeah uh, just as a quick aside Love with the it. game suit it's like um joe and i are both part of the lgbtq community and so that means that we interact with things like Folsom and stuff like this or gay pride oftentimes you'll see people yes. wearing similar get up and gear and so from occupying that world that shit takes yeah. a long time to get in and out of so i am shocked that whenever he goes hunting oh, for yeah. the kids he's like this he just instantly appears in this it's like how the hell are you putting that on so quickly give me your secrets dude <laughs> It's it it, it, it it it's coming from the same skill set where they're able to make the house appear normal when cops come in yeah. so quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's like a magic trick. They have all kinds of quick change techniques that they learned. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, if if you out there want to watch the people under the stairs, as of this recording in September 2021, it's available only through digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. Uh, Pace and Joe, where can people find Horror Nerds at Church Podcast? 
We are available wherever you get your podcasts, pretty much. Um, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, all of those places. Um, we You can go to anchor.fm and look up Horror Nerds at Church there. They're the ones that um, host our is our podcast hosting service. We're also on Facebook and um, Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church and then on Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D, H-N-A-C-P-O-D. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining yep. us. This has been an yep. absolute blast. Yeah. Hope you guys had as much fun as we us. did. Oh, this was great. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. And uh, so as for us, you can listen to 1991 Movie Rewind on also all the major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about both podcasts. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of 800 plus movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we'll be watching Kelly Jo Minter again in Popcorn, Mm. which is only available on VHS or DVD. We'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.